We're back, ladies and gentlemen, and it's another bonus episode of BR Football Ranks. Aren't you lucky? Following a fortnight of phenomenal football, eked into every area of the European expanse where a chaotic cohort of Champions League cheer was followed by an electrifying evening of Europa entertainment with over 100 goals across both legs in the last 16 of the two competitions. And enough drama to keep the Game of Thrones anticipation at bay for at least another week. My name is Jack Collins, and as ever, I'll be your host today. And I'm joined by the twin turbo engines of the rank squad. Firstly, a man who remembers Ajax playing Juventus in the Champions League final in the mid-90s before I was born. It's <laughs> Dean Jones. So gutted for Van der Sar that night. <laughs> you were there, weren't you? Yeah, behind the goal. <laughs> and when we suggested talking about these Champions League ties in a bonus pod, Sam immediately demanded that he rank them in 15 different things. Attendance, expected goals, proximity to the Wanda Metropolitano, amount of crosses from their left backs this season. We haggled him down to just his excitement levels. It's Sam Ty. You're very rude to me you know you should you should give me hours and hours on air to do what I want right then Sam I know you are absolutely gagging to get into this but just before we do if you are listening to this podcast via a little player on the internet or on YouTube get subscribed it is worth it I promise get onto Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Stitcher or whatever pod store you like search BR Football Ranks and join the rank squad permanently permanent deal we're not here for loan transfers we want permanent deals over to you Sam let's talk about these Champions League ties right okay so we are going to rank these in order of excitement uh, we're going to start we'll start with number four and I'm afraid to say it's Liverpool versus Porto. I don't think you're going to be that surprised by that. No. We've seen it before, haven't we? Literally that, one it, year ago. It? We, we just, it was last year. We saw it last year. It feels kind of one-sided. And also, like in terms of like the underdog, Porto, what you look for in a, in a team like that that isn't a fancy to win is, is an element of intrigue or, or something like that. And Porto's strengths aren't that flashy. Like They're a good side. They went unbeaten through the group stages and they got past Roma. It's no mean feat, but they are probably the weakest side of the eight. And basically, they're really good from set pieces and they like to cross the ball a lot. Alex Tellez, the left back, takes a really nice corner or a free kick and he moves into a wing position and allows people to filter inside and work the space in the penalty box. They're just not that fun. No, they're not. And they're, they're also they're a f- lot weaker than Liverpool. So you just don't really, you don't go into this game thinking this is going to be a good one. Like, I reckon anything could happen here. It's, it doesn't have that kind of appeal. They're just a very functional team, aren't they? They, yeah. they do the, good, the simple things well. They score from things you expect them to score from. You know, they, they put the ball in the box a lot and they have Moussa Marego up front, who is a force of nature. They've got two, two big strikers. They've got a, a, quite a big midfielder in Danilo Pereira as well. They've got, obviously two, two centre-backs and a really good set-piece taker. So like, I'm not blaming them for playing to their strengths here. And Tellez, when he moves up in open play from left-back and he goes onto the wing and he allows Jesus Corona to drop inside. And Corona was really, really good against Roma, dropping into the penalty box and sort of shifting the ball left to right, hitting the byline and crossing. They created a lot of chances. Their XG that night was over three, which is pretty serious in terms of the XG rating. So... Look, they're not they're not terrible. Like they're not a terrible watch, but they're just very kind of different to the storylines that we've been seeing over the last couple of weeks. They're not Ajax. They don't have these incredible young players. They don't play fantastic football. They don't have the the transfer narrative outside of Edo Militao, who, by the way, is playing right back for Porto now because Pepe's moved into the centre yeah. and he's not as good at right back. So even if you were tuning into that game to watch Edem Minatau, future Real Madrid player. They've just signed him for 50, 60 million euros or just announced it. He's actually being played out of position and he's not being utilised to his, to his maximum potential either. So I really just struggle to take much out of this game that I am really, really excited for. 
Yeah, I mean, I think it all boils down to, like you said earlier, the fact that we saw this last year, Dean. You know, Liverpool won the tie 5-0. It was very one-sided, a little bit dull after it was on a stage. thing that this has in its Yeah, I mean, 5-0 doesn't exactly get you excited, does it, to think about what will happen again? I mean, you can only imagine, though, that that's not going to happen again. You think that Porto aren't going to let... Liverpool win. Yeah, Porto are a better side. The first leg five nil exactly because they would have learned from that and they're a better team now. But for Liverpool, I know this is the least exciting of the four games, but the first leg actually might be exciting because Liverpool need to get the game done in the first leg. Uh, The tie needs to be dead because that means that they can still focus on the Premier League, which is so important to them this season. I think last year in the Champions League, once the once the knockout phases started, yeah. Uh, Liverpool dropped 10 points domestically, I think that's right. And they obviously cannot allow anything like that to happen again. They've dropped two, I think, so far since um, the knockout started this time around. So getting this game just killed off in that first leg is so important. So actually, the first leg might be exciting because they're going to go all out to get it done. The second leg might be a dead duck. Yeah, very much so. I am excited to see Morega against Van Dijk. That, that's uh, why? why? Because... Van Dijk is probably the world's best defender right now and taking nothing away from him. But Morega's a bit taking weird. Taking nothing away from him. Morega's a bit weird. He doesn't play football like you expect anyone to play football. He sort of charges around a bit headlessly at times. He was playing left back for large periods of the game against, against Roma where he just was charging into, into odd positions. But he's really hard to handle because he's really strong and really fast and, and sort of very unpredictable. And that's going to be a challenge. Very, yeah, very direct, hits the channels, his arms go flying around around like yeah he's unorthodox and look I, look, I don't think Van Dijk's going to have that much of an issue with him I, I appreciate what you're saying in terms of uh, if he doesn't know what he's going to do then how can Van Dijk possibly know what he's going to do but Van Dijk has been bottling players like like this up for a long time now and I don't think he's going to have too many issues maybe maybe Morega's better off targeting the other centre-back indeed uh, Lovren or Matip or maybe even Joe Gomez at the time right let's get on to number three all right so now the games get good yeah now they get good Ajax versus Juventus I've got at third which may differ from Dean's list we don't know it does I can Um, confirm so yeah great Uh, Ajax knocked out uh, Ronaldo's former club Maybe yeah. maybe they knock out Ronaldo's current club in this one. But oh, as intriguing as that narrative is, I do fear that this one will actually fail to live up to expectations on the pitch. So like, the idea of Ajax Juventus, the idea of Ronaldo and Ajax is very good. But I know we spent a lot of time over the last week praising Ajax's ability to blend older heads with young talents. And that's how they managed to get through this Real Madrid game. So you add in someone like Lasse Schoener and Daly Blind and Dusan Tadic and you, you meld that with... Hakim Ziyech and, and Frankie de Jong, yet they've done a very good job of sculpting a team that can actually cope with pressure quite well or better than you'd expect. But if you're asking me, on the big stage, when it really matters, which group of players is going to pull this one out, I'm going with Ronaldo, Pjanic and Chiellini and co every day of the week. And I do, I do fear that, as exciting as this one sounds it may not live up to its potential on the pitch. I slightly disagree. What's your thoughts, Gene? Um, I think that it's exciting from an Ajax point of view because I think on the back of that 
the result they had against Real Madrid, they would have really wanted just another big tie to just keep going. Like they got the belief from that one, they might as well just try and get a game like this out of the way now. Like if they were ever going to achieve anything, get to the final, then they're going to have to face Juventus probably at some point anyway. So let's just do it. Let's get it on. Um, but what I do think, I, I look straight away at what Ronaldo's record is like against Ajax. Uh, he's played against them five times. He scored seven goals. Isn't that like his record against everyone? It's actually one of the highest, actually, in the Champions League is his record against Ajax. So um, it's not looking great for them. I also looked at the results in those games when he was obviously at Real Madrid. Uh, 1-4-1, 1-4-1, 1-3-0, 1-4-0. <laughs> so yeah. it's not looking great for Ajax from that point of view. But um, And the other thing that I would worry about from Ajax's point of view is that Allegri's game management in the second leg um, that we saw the other day was absolutely spot on. Mm all over the pitch. Not only were they um, brilliantly intensive and playing high-tempo stuff from the off against Atleti and really putting them under pressure, but people like Emre Chan came up with really important performances and, and played a kind of role that really gave Atleti no chance even when they did manage to break away a little. He was kind of... He was playing centre-back, basically. Yeah, exactly. right he was back between, at, yeah. at certain points. The, the, you praise Allegri for the game management in the in the second leg, and that's fair. I had so much criticism for him after the first leg. Yeah, yeah. and I he think that's also fair. botched that first leg. So the bare minimum that he could have done was absolutely nail that second leg. Like, why he went into that first leg with the formation that he did, didn't play to his team's strengths, I don't know. At least he fixed it. In the second leg, he committed to getting uh, uh, Spinazzola and Cancelo up the flanks and crossing at every available opportunity. The first goal that Benedeschi crossed for Ronaldo, no one was expecting a cross there. Like That felt like an almost impossible angle to cross from, but so committed were they to putting the ball in the box to Mandzukic and Ronaldo. That's what happened. So well done to that. And yeah. those subs later on, like you know, he gets to 2-0, he takes Spinazzola off, puts Dybala on. Fair enough, you've got to keep going for it. I like it, but he's only making up for his previous errors. That's so also, I, I want to temper the praise a little bit for him. It's also not particularly allegory to, to do that and None. go for it. I think what makes this tie interesting, this narrative interesting, is the kind of clash of styles. You know, that kind of Ajax traditional total football that you expect you know, we came to associate with the great Ajax teams being kind of re-energised with this new side that we haven't really seen. Obviously, this is the second wave of the Ajax new talent. The first wave got to the final in the Europa League against, against Manchester United and were completely outplayed. But this is a stronger, sharper, more, you know, clever, I guess, Ajax. I am interested to see that if Allegri reverts to his kind of standard defensive shape, if Ajax can take control of this tie and really start to frustrate them. And that's where the kind of, interesting narrative comes from my kind of point of view they are complete opposites yeah it doesn't feel like Juventus are that team because they've got so much talent and so much creative talent but they do pretty much just lump it like it's not it's not particularly flashy what they do it's quite simplistic that's a real test for Ajax because there's not that many teams that they come across on a weekly basis who actually do play like that with the brute force that uh, that Juventus have. And what an evening it will be, or two evenings, for Matthias De Ligt. I was going to say, what a test. Like to, to, to have to deal with not only Ronaldo, but Mandzukic as well. Now, we saw against Real Madrid how good he was and how effortlessly he cleared so much of what came into his box. In the same way, I have to say that Thiago Silva and Mats Hummels did against their respective opponents in the round of 16. So, so impressive from him. This is another test. This is another level. Well, what do we highest? think um, Everett is asking Ronaldo, obviously, right now? Um, <laughs> I hope he's not asking him anything. I'm not sure what was going on What would that. Ronaldo be texting him back right now about his chances of winning this game? If you haven't 
seen Patrice Evra texting Cristiano Ronaldo asking him to beat Atletico Madrid to stop Evra getting criticism is very much worth a look. It's on the BR Football Instagram page a couple of days ago. Yeah, it's, it's, not, it's, it's interesting to see how... Uh athletes and former athletes text each other like, it was wasn't it that's a ludicrous like, uh, the whole thing was weird like the Ronaldo's whole, the whole conversation yeah, yeah it, oh yeah I will mate don't worry and then sends a selfie sends a selfie <laughs> like no reason it's Cristiano what do you expect he's right. it's him I think onwards onwards also onwards. he saved him on his phone just to CR7 yeah I, know. I mean it's just the whole thing's an absolute travesty as far as I'm concerned right <laughs> Sam number two into two uh, I'm going Tottenham versus Manchester City mm. and okay. this might be a little bit unpopular my number three, yeah. uh, it might be a bit unpopular with some people I think some people tend to sniff at all domestic ties in the Champions League latter stages because well you see those every season right yeah, so the Champions exotic. League is a, yeah is an opportunity to see something a little bit different a little bit more exotic as you say get to see teams clash from different countries and you get to measure them against each other in a in, in a circumstance that you never really would yep but from my memory some of the all Premier League Champions League knockout ties have been really good. Liverpool and Chelsea have played out some absolute crackers over two legs in the last 10 years or so. And Manchester City versus Tottenham is very often a decent game of football. Now, the last one they played was 1-0 to City at Wembley. But before that, you've got three. That was, that was the, the game where the pitch didn't work, though, wasn't it, yeah. after the NFL? Yeah, pretty, it was like mostly just mud. Yeah, it was yeah. absolutely yeah. awful. But then before that, you've got Tottenham losing to City 3-1. You've got City winning 4-1. You've got 2-2. You've got 2-0 to Tottenham in 2016. Some seriously good games between these two. And then you've also got the added element of not only the, the, the tactical intensity that takes place in these games, because Pochettino and Guardiola, two extremely clever managers, always looking to one-up each other, always looking to outdo each other and yeah. to try and find the weakness in each other's system, which if you plug in and watch that and watch the player movements, it's one of the best examples of high-level tactical football that you can find between Tottenham and City. That is the best. Then you've got the fact that they play each other three times in four games. Yeah, because it's like they, in a week and a half, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, because they play Champions League in midweek, then there's a weekend round of Premier League fixtures, which they, they don't play each other. Then they play again the following week, Champions League, and then they play each other in the Premier League. So three or four games, City versus Spurs. That will take that tactical tussle to a new level because both managers will have to use their squads properly because they'll play so many games across a short period of time. Then they'll be constantly analysing and reanalyzing the games between themselves and figuring out, OK, what can I do here? What could I have done better? Maybe I could use this guy instead. Then they'll start tweaking according to the opposition. Then they'll meet a third time and it will be different again. It will be... It would be really, really interesting if that's your kind of thing, which yeah. obviously it is my kind of thing. Dean, you've got this lower. Why? Um, well, Tottenham just are completely out of form right now. So if, unless they can turn that around before they head into this tie, then I, I just don't see any way that they're going to uh, manage to compete with Man City. Man City have won nine out of their last ten games. Um, Tottenham have lost three of their last five. They drew one of those games and they won one nil at Dortmund. Um, so although... Obviously, the result in the last round to get past Dortmund is a really impressive one. Um, I don't see that this is like peak Tottenham right now. They've, they've changed. Something about them has changed. It's not as entertaining as it once was. It's not as exciting as it once was. And I don't know, something as well has changed in, since Harry Kane came back. I'm not, I'm not exactly sure what it is. They've now started losing since he's come back. Yeah, like something's, something's changed there. Not and very good. I don't well. know if... They are like, oh, we're, oh, great, Kane's back. Well, now we can just rely on him scoring us goals and we yeah. don't have to put in the same kind of performances. Where I don't think footballers think like that, but something's changing the mentality because it does look like that. So anyway, yeah, Tottenham have got to do 
some massive turnaround in the way that they're playing right now. So two things about it. One, is the one is this going to happen at Spurs' new stadium? Yes or no? Nah. Dean? <laughs> I mean, that's a guess. Full disclosure, uh, that is a guess, but no. Are the first leg at home or am I? Uh, the first leg is at Tottenham. So, no. No. From, no from, <laughs> I think it will. No, I think I'm, it will. Go, I'm going to the two test events for Tottenham. So they've got, they've got a youth game and yeah. they've got a Legends game coming up. And if they pass those two tests, those are the two required test events before you host an actual Premier League or Champions League game. I'm going to both of those. I'll let you know if the stadium falls down while I'm in it. Keep us and informed. Then, and then we will know if... if, if, if can you, go, can you go live on your Instagram if it does? I'll go live regardless because I'm going to use that weird pint-filling machine thing <laughs> that where you, it fills a drink up from the bottom of a glass and then somehow doesn't leak out the bottom. That will be the majority of my... Would it so- help them to play that food. there? I honestly have no, a, no honest, idea. It can't do them any harm, can it? Who knows? I mean, they hate Wembley. Yeah. They absolutely despise Wembley. They, the, yeah. the, the fan, it's too the, big. Yeah, the fan, it's too big for anyone. It's not, that's not even like a criticism. It's just too big a stadium. For <clears> to be fair, it was basically full when they played Borussia Dortmund, but... I agree. It's just it's just too big, and also the fans are just it's so sick of Wembley. Yeah. So we'll, we'll see if that makes a difference. Also, Dean, just to your point on uh, on Tottenham's form, it is bad. But in three weeks, it might be good again. Yeah, totally. Yeah, they, they are an extremely streaky side like this. So we, they went through that period in January where they wobbled, went out of both cup competitions. Then they won four in a row with late goals. Then they've, they've, they've fallen off the boil a little bit. Next league game, there's Liverpool. Why? You just, yeah, you just, you don't, you don't know exactly which. They're going to win, though, isn't it? Yeah, probably. Kind of, yeah. I just don't know which which Spurs side is going to show up or or for for how long the stretch is. But I think in three weeks' time, there's every chance that Spurs are fine again. Yeah. So we haven't really mentioned the fact that Man City absolutely tore. Shelgrapa. They treated it like a farmer's league, the Champions League that night. Like, this is what Pep Guardiola does as well. Like, he's got no respect for teams in the sense of, like, feeling sorry for them, easing off the gas when you go 3-0 up. He just wants to batter everyone. And I love it. I love it. Not enough people do that. And Pep is just relentless in the fact, just beat them, score goals, score goals, score goals. Get everyone on the score sheet. Get everyone I, I love on the score it. sheet. It just yeah, builds confidence and, and everything else. Unless and, you're Schalke or, or Tedesco, yeah. it's great fun. Tedesco's been well. fired. He's literally lost his job because Pep was like, nah, don't That's let him up. Yeah. Make him die. <laughs> That's so true. Pep lost that man his job. What a cruel, <laughs> cruel man. But yeah, yeah, he treated cool. Schalke like they were Rotherham. It was ridiculous. Right, okay. Enough about Ruthless City and Street. Spurs. Sam, that leaves number one, right? Yeah, it does indeed. Barca and Man United. Barca and Man United. Were they your number one, Dean? Yeah, of course. This is giant, isn't it? Like two giants of the game. My number one was Ajax Juventus, obviously. Mm. Um, But two giants of the game, this. Yeah, when when two of the three biggest clubs in the world, or arguably the two biggest clubs in the world, depending on your metric, meet in a competition like this, it's it's box office viewing like you you can't Take help notice, but you, yeah. You, you yeah you just have to watch it and like two squads stacked with with quality united now obviously much much better under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer but Ole's still fighting to get that role as, as as permanent manager and then on the other side you've got Barca I mean, it's nuts oh, he's still he's having got it. to do that isn't it he's got it inside front football inside of Dean Jones no knowledge at all oh, okay. he's got it no knowledge at all. That's, oh, some, that's I'm some saying thing. you could just guess. Um, st- st- still trying to prove himself to some people that he's he, he's worth this role. Barcelona's manager trying to prove to the Barcelona fans that he deserves the job that's that he fair. has. So you've got 
arguably sort of two managers under pressure, Did two squads... Just sign a new contract? It doesn't, yeah, but they all hate him. Yeah, but that's not really the point. The board don't, and the board own. The, the board will just make, make that happen, won't they? If he, got, if he drops out of the Champions League in the quarterfinals, I think cha- th- things change really, really quickly with regard to his stock. And I agree with you. Like, I do think that, the, obviously, the board, board are happy with him. They've given him the extension. But they did also give him that extension with a few caveats, like you have to do these things because we, we want them to be done and you're not doing them right now. So a couple of things at play there. I don't think it's a universally happy place, Barcelona. Whether they're spoiled by Pep Guardiola's success, I don't know. Maybe that's the case. But when you see these two squads line up against each other, one spearheaded by Lionel Messi, one spearheaded by Paul Pogba, I'm just excited to see it. I think the game lends itself really well to United counter-attacking, which as we've seen under, under Solskjaer has been lethal. Um, I'm excited to see someone like Rashford running the channels against someone like PK, who I think has had a phenomenal season, like right back to his best level. Yep. And I want to see, I want to watch Messi break this team down. I want to see if Ander Herrera's released in some kind of weird man-marking role, like a bulldog on, on, on Messi. Like he did with Hazard that time. Like he did with Hazard when he played, it wasn't even a position. His position was Mark Hazard. Mark Hazard it, was, yeah. it, was, it was crazy. So lots of 1v1 clashes to take, to take note of. So much quality on the pitch. Some of the best players in the world. Two managers that I unbelievably are, I think, un, under a little bit of pressure or varying degrees of pressure. I think it has every ingredient, genuinely. I can't wait to see it. Right, Dean, this was top for you as well. Why? Yeah, well, the thing is, uh, on paper, I'd I don't really think Man United should have a chance in this game. The first leg's at Old Trafford, second at New Camp, and originally I was thinking, well, if they could get a draw even at Old Trafford, maybe they'll still have a chance. And then I remembered what happened to Lee on the other night. But So that, that's not something you can count on. But then you've got to think about what United have done already this season um, in this tournament. They've beaten Juventus away in, in circumstances that nobody saw coming. They've also done it to PSG. So, in circumstances, even fewer people. Still <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. So Chris Smalling's had Ronaldo in his pocket. He's had Mbappe <laughs> in his pocket, and now he's going to keep Messi in his pocket. That's <laughs> so what happens when you come from a great school like Fulham. <laughs> so yeah, it's Chris Smalling's tie. Basically, he's going to prove that he is one of the greatest defenders in the world. But on a serious note, I I, I just think it's got everything. It's got history. Um, two of the greatest clubs in the world, if not the two biggest clubs in the world in terms of support and everything else. Um, in terms of excitement, United coming back from nowhere this season and Barcelona really stamping their authority as well back on La Liga and making sure that everyone was reminded that, no, they are serious outfit and they're not going to let anybody else back into this title race. And also wanting to show that, you know, at a time when Real Madrid are embarrassing that they are never going to be considered like that you know they've seen Real Madrid win this uh, win this trophy for the last three years that will have hurt them despite the fact they still can continue to be strong domestically they've got to look at this as a chance to be like okay now it's our turn we're actually going to win this trophy and we're going to do it in Madrid because it's going to be at Atleti um Let's let's do this. We're in the finals in Spain. Let's let's win this trophy on home soil again. They're still hurting from last season's exit, aren't they? Surely yeah, yeah. that 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 Roma collapse, as as amazing as the scenes were, watching Manolas peel off towards the crowd and the, the the iconic commentary that came with it. How the hell did they do that? And I'm sure they're still asking themselves that question. At the end of last season, when they won La Liga, Messi took the microphone on the pitch and said, "This is all well and good, but we want the Champions League next season." They are so motivated for this, and it is so imperative 
that they win the Champions League this season. Like it is so important to that fan base, to that club, to yeah. these players, and to Lionel Messi to mm. win this to- win this tournament. Every every second of every Barcelona game at this stage now is unmissable. I think everything's possible that has been said about that could be said about uh, Man United's win over PSG has been said at this point. We've mm. got we've got to that stage, but Barcelona's win over Lyon the other night was impressive in loads of ways. But not most most notably, I think for me, and you've mentioned PK already today. At 3-1 up, right, where you, Here we go. with 10 minutes to go, all you need, the last thing you need is Leon to score and put you under unbelievable amounts of pressure. PK goes, like, racing up the field in open play and scores at the end of a counter-attack. And I couldn't believe it. I was sitting there going, why are you in the box? What, yeah, yeah. what are you doing in the box? You're a centre-half. The last, you can't afford to let them score. What on earth is he doing? I mean, he has, he has always done this to an oh, extent. No, no, like, I, but, I know. But, but the situation is crazy. So if you haven't noticed before, I haven't seen, you know, over the last eight years or so, once Barca are a safe distance up, three, four goals, happens quite regularly. PK says... I'm going up front now. And he does. And he's always looking for a goal. So he said, this just has to sit back a little bit further and he just plays centre back. It's all really mad. So PK's goal tally is always quite inflated for a centre back. And it's because he plays half of his games up front (laughs) because he wants to score. He's obsessed with scoring goals. But to do it at that stage against Leon in open play, just tearing forward. Also, the amount of ground he covered to get the ball (laughs) to actually put it away is absolutely unbelievable. Absolutely. Incredible. It was, it, was, it was some tie. It was, yeah. Sam, I liked, by the way, what you said when we came in today to watch the draw. You were like, I'm not really bothered about the actual quarterfinal draw. I'm looking at the semifinals and potential final. And mm. I, I was like, that's actually how everybody as a neutral should look at this. What is our potential final here? And actually, I think this draw's turned out pretty well, hasn't it? All I wanted was for either City or Juventus to be kept on the other side of the bracket to Barcelona so that Messi could take or so that either Messi could take on Ronaldo in the final or Guardiola could take on Barcelona that, yeah. those are the, the two th- derby I, the needed, I needed one of those two things to be possible I mean they are Ajax and Barcelona are in different sides of the draw as well which oh, is important yeah, because great. We, could have a, we could have the Cruyff final <laughs> it, yeah uh, uh, sure add that one in too add that one in too but those are the two things I wanted to achieve out of this draw I'm a little bit more alongsided. No. Uh, with the draw in that regard lots okay. of people will be like oh some of the quarterfinals aren't that great and look they're not but the, the semi-finals are going to be brilliant and we have we have the potential I think given how the, the, the bracket has been drawn to see the very best games possible yeah. very late on over two legs or in the final get in touch with us at using the hashtag BRFootballRanks and tell us what you want to see in the final because that is a really interesting one but Let's take a second. That is the Champions League done. But as we've been recording this podcast, the Europa League last eight has been drawn as well. Right, I'm going to read you. you. Neither of you have seen the no, ties. No. I'm going to read you out the four ties. And you're both going to tell me your standout tie very quickly and why. So the four ties are Slavia Prague versus Chelsea. No. Benfica versus Eintracht Frankfurt in the Sam. <gasps> the Luka, Luka Jovic Derby. Derby. Oh, my God. Villarreal Valencia. In an all Valencian affair, wow. in a quarterfinal, and Napoli versus Arsenal. Oh my Ooh, god! I like it. I like it a lot. Napoli, Arsenal, and Benfica, Frankfurt are two brilliant games of football. Yeah, two like Champions League round of sixteen caliber ties. Totally. I think I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with the Luka Jovic derby here. Benfica versus Frankfurt. Two of the teams that I enjoy watching the most on a sort of slightly more hipster level. Luka Jovic derby. I like, I'm, I'm gonna have to go with that. I went to the. I went to. I went to see Frankfurt in the first game of their season this season. I went to the Super Cup and they got battered 5-0. And I came out of that game thinking, well, they're going to be rubbish. And ever since that day, they have been absolutely awesome. So 
to see to see that transpire after what I saw that day is is all the more impressive. And I interviewed Sebastian Allaire that day, uh, and he's been brilliant this season. So yeah, I'm claiming credit. I was for, thinking, or, claiming credit. I'm claiming credit for all of it. I was it. just I was thinking, you know, in sometimes Luke Jovic is obviously on loan at Eintracht Frankfurt from Benfica. Is there possibly a clause that he can't play in this game? I don't. Do I very much doubt it. But I like, it. It, it's a that's mental, isn't it? It is. It is mad. Imagine if he scores it, the winner and and Benfica, they're like, oh, damn. Well, I mean, I'm pretty sure they're already like, oh, damn, because he scored so many goals this season, and there's a six million euro option to buy him yeah, at the end of the yeah. season. They, they've messed up big time there. But uh, the, in in the Premier League, loanees are not allowed to play against their parent clubs. But th- that rule is not necessarily enforced no, across I don't, Europe. I don't and, think it is. and on a two year loan as well, can you really? I mean, no, I, he, is el- he is eligible, but um, it's going to be exciting for him though because. It'll mean a lot to him going... Going back to prove himself as well. Yeah, and I think that, you know, there's so much more that comes with playing for Benfica and you always move on anyway. Like It's part of what the club is. And um, But to go back there and just say, sorry, but thanks. Um, <laughs> which, by the way, he's going to do. Like, look, he obviously yeah, is going to win that tie. Yeah, OK. Well, there's your big call. So I was just about to say, before we move on to your pick of the the round... Benfica last night scored three of the best goals in the, in the entire draw. Two of them in added time, where the centre back Ferro hit an absolute thunderbolt from in his first ever goal for the club. <laughs> uh, absolute thunderbolt from thirty yards to put them ahead in the tie. And then Alex Grimaldo sealed it by hitting a knuckleball from open play, uh, and both brought on by the appearance of Joao Felix, nice. who we talked about in the last podcast, came on and, and really did change the game. So more of that, uh, please. Indeed, right, Dean, your tie of the round. Uh, it's got to be Napoli v Arsenal for me. I mean, one because we probably go to the game. <laughs> so I might have to take might have to take uh, Thursday off five aside football on that and go. Yeah, to, that uh, is one of the ones the that tempts you. Yeah, we weren't. I wasn't tempted to go to the Ren game, but um, yeah, this one's definitely more tasty. And as we were talking about the other day about about Napoli's season and whether Milan could could beat them to second spot in Serie A, you know, there's a lot hinging on this for Napoli. They'll take this game very seriously. I know that there's a difference as well in mentality of English fans. The way that the Europa League is viewed, obviously, like it still hasn't won everybody over. People still, I think, generally don't care too much about it until they're in the semi-final. But I think they'll care about this one. I think that, as you say, this has got the taste of a Champions League tie. And I think that, you know, this will be a sellout, obviously, anyway. But people will really fancy this. And it's a big test for Unai Emery as well. I think that that's what's even more exciting about it because he is a manager that takes this tournament so seriously. Um, And I actually quite fancy Arsenal in that one too. Well, there we are. That's probably just about it for today's episode of BR Football Ranked. If you've enjoyed it and you're not already, make sure you are subscribed. Get over and hit that subscribe button on whatever podcast platform you like or on YouTube if you you want. Uh, Whilst you're at it, we'd love your ratings and reviews and you can always hit any of the three of us up on Twitter or Instagram. All that's left for me to do is to say thank you to Dean Jones. Cheers, mate. Thank you to Sam Ty. Thank you, mate. I've been Jack Collins. We'll see you on Tuesday, Rank Squad, where we've got another very special guest. Take care.